state of combat is back in the building. Yes, the SOC returns on CBS Sports. Back with a bang. Back with the pod. And the guy that drives the ship, your boy BC, the Brian Campbell, coming at you. Backed, jacked, fired up, underwritten, sponsored by that performance-enhancing audio and the MMA edition coming back at you. And boy, is it a big week to do so. Just days out from UFC 235 in Vegas. Wow, this is a big one. Two title fights on the card. Plenty of must-see fights. You know, really the first... Big one, if you will, of the calendar year. Not that kind of big one. Thank you. And uh, you know we're going to break it down for you in great detail. Break down all things that happened the week that was in MMA from GSP retiring to maybe a UFC prog card that it was better than it had any business being. We'll get into all that and more. A reminder, though, of course. If you see something, say something. Yes, you like what you hear in this show, move it forward, spread it across the bread, whatever you got to do. Five-star review. Look, it's a new era of combat audio that we're producing. Welcome to the Machida era. Oh, no, 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 not that era. That that era took my boy Rashad's soul and only lasted one night, but this is an era that will last much, much longer. We back, trust me, we back. And my co-host, fresh with a new theme song, number 65 in your scorebook, number one in your heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Face the pain, it's Brandon Wise, he's here, face the pain. (laughs) I don't think you're ready to face the pain, BC. It still hurts you to your soul every day that they have that as the pay-per-view intro music. And it's going to hit you again on Saturday night when John Jones enters the cage. Well, it, it's 2019, which is absurd that that's still part of the <laughs> UFC post-Zufa. But uh, they only play it in the arena now. Just so you know, B-Wise, not on the broadcasts anymore. But it does live another day. But they killed the old belt. But they won't kill Face the Pain? Yeah, I- the, old, the old belt was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> let's also not bury the lead. We're returning this week. Our producer, Mike Mormile, back in the fold. No theme song for this guy, but he is back. Trust me. To be honest, I'm surprised I'm allowed back on after that Cain Velasquez first round knockout. Wow. After predicting predicting Cain would win in the first round, I'm surprised I'm allowed back. I think we all predicted that, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> Nobody. No, we didn't all predict that. You predicted that and then convinced me that Francis Ngannou had no chance, even though I kept thinking in my head, eh, Francis might have more of a chance than we're giving him credit for. You're going to, you're going to give the, the credit to Francis Ngannou's right hand or Kane's left knee. Your choice, Brandon Wise. <laughs> chicken right and hand. egg. What? I mean, come on. Chicken and egg. Which, which, what happened first? The right hand, clearly. Did I read some crap where Kane's trying to say it was an illegal punch? There's no such yes. thing as an illegal punch. Come on. He, Javier Mendez is claiming that Francis claimed him, clipped him in the back of the head on Kane's entry for the takedown. So he's claiming rabbit punch, basically. Stop. Stop. How could he hit in the back of the head? He was in front of you. He hit him on, like, the back of the back. There was no back of the head. Like, come on. This is laughable. <laughs> there are three things in life, though, be wise, that are certain. Water is wet, fire burn, and I'm going to beat Michael Bisping. Well, you got to give him credit. All three are certain. What is not certain, though, in my heart, is whether that's the last we ever see of one George St. Pierre GSP, fellas. The big news of the week. 
couple months shy of his 38th turn around the globe. Or maybe, maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's, maybe, yeah, I guess that's how you define a year, right? <laughs> yes. No, it's around the sun, not the around globe. Around the sun, around the globe, uh, around the moon. George St. Pierre is walking away, unable to get the Habib Nurmagomedov fight at 155 pounds. That really pisses me off. This is number one bullshit. What Dana gonna do? What Dana gonna do? But, uh, look, this was, this was pretty big news. GSP had the full on press conference in Montreal. There was a little bit too much French being spoken for my taste, but you know, in the end, he gone, he gone. But will he stay gone, fellas? And I don't want to, you know, put to put aside the topics that we will want to hit, including his legacy and including everything that surrounds this Habib fight. Is he gone, though? Is this the end? Because this is a man of his word, a man of conviction. Be wise. Is he gone? I really, really think so. I don't think he has anything left to prove at this point. He has gone out. He has beaten the people in front of him. He beat the best of the best at the time when he was in the octagon in the prime of the Zufa era when we didn't really know what the sport was going to become yet. We had a lot of guys that were still either stand-up strikers, zero ground game, or all wrestlers and grapplers, no striking whatsoever. GSP kind of brought that full complement of attacks at you, right? Like, He could do any kind of strategy that he wanted to, and he was kind of the first of his kind in that sense. So at this point, I don't want to say the game has passed him by, but the evolution of the sport with all of the new intricacies of fighters these days who are able to study a lot easier, they're able to just watch YouTube clips of their opponents and see, okay, this is where I'm going to set up my second and third counter shots, whereas GSP's entry into the sport was – Oh, he's just a striker. I'm going to take him down and pummel him. Oh, he's a he's a he's a wrestler. I can just keep him on his feet the whole time. I think from that aspect, I want him to be done, and I think he is just because of what you said before. He is a man of his word. He is a man of principle. Even if you throw 5 million dollars at him, he's probably still going to say no just because of how much conviction he has about that stuff. So, I give him a lot of respect for that, by the way. Like you said right there, like he could easily cash in right now. In many ways, you know, in the old guy, uh, twilight of his career, using his name for a number of creative matchups. We would bend over backwards to see him against Connor, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that break the pay-per-view record? Do that fight at, like, I don't know, 165? Sounds good to me. It, it, it's it's genius not to do that fight. He could make millions. Anderson Silva, finally cashing on that dream fight, could make millions. Tyron Woodley. To find out who really is the best welterweight of all time, even though we already know it is GSP. And Matt Hughes also has a stake in that conversation, although I certainly, certainly respect what Woodley has done. We'll talk more about Woodley later because he is returning this weekend. But the fact that GSP's not doing any of that has to tell you that at least that this is most likely for real. But he stands by his conviction of only wanting fights that can extend his legacy. And if you really think about it, that Habib fight, for the lightweight championship, really would be the only fight right now that could take his legacy to a whole new level. If he came back and beat Woodley, and I'm I'm not even certain he could beat Woodley, by the way, if he came back and did that, it would just be another extra cherry on top of the cherry on top of his Sunday that says he's, you know, the best welterweight of all time. But he's in that very select group, guys. I say there's six people in the GOAT conversation. If there's an upper room with a table, 
the people sitting next to GSP right now is Anderson Silva, John Jones, Demetrius Johnson, Daniel Cormier, and Fedor. But to get from that that six, and some people already think he's number one. I'm not naive to that. We're going to get to that in a second. But to get from that number six to number one with a bullet so there's no debate, doing some kind of insane dare-to-be-great cut down to 155 for the first time in his career at age 38 against the unbeaten beast, Habib, would be epic. So I do respect the fact that if he can't get that fight, he is done. The thing why I keep questioning is, is he done? Because I wonder if he's using this announcement and the full effect of the retirement ceremony to say, hey, Dana, hey, Habib, I want this fight bad. And now I'm putting the ball in your corner. I'm not chasing you. I wanted to set it up so you will chase me. I think he is that type of businessman. But in terms of fighting anybody else, yeah, I think he's done, brothers. See, this is where I disagree, though, slightly. I understand what you're saying about the legacy, the dare to be great going forward at 155. But if he came back right now after Tyron Woodley fights Kamaru Usman on Saturday and Tyron Woodley wins, you're telling me that if he knocks off Tyron Woodley in a 170 championship fight where you in particular have been the one telling me how great Tyron Woodley is and how historically great he might be the second greatest welterweight of all time right now as it stands just because of how strong and how crazy this run has been for him you're telling me that that would not boost his legacy even more in the eyes of fans in a quote-unquote champion versus champion match because he never did lose his belt he gave it up because he didn't want to keep on dangling it in front of people while he was like in limbo between retirement and coming back i'll tell you this there's a lot of people and by the way i was actually surprised how many people did claim that already gsp is their goat and i don't have a problem with that if we have to narrow that table of six down to three, if we have to really fine-tooth comb it, it's Anderson Silva, it's John Jones, or it's GSP. It's those three right at the top. Really, fight me if you think anyone else is in there, because they're not. It's those three at the top. Some people already think he's there. For somebody like me, though, to put him not only above Anderson and John, but say there's no doubt about it, yeah, I don't think even beating Woodley would make it no doubt, because who's the greatest of all time is a gray area, because there's elements of pound for pound in there. There's elements of accomplishment. Just from the standpoint of accomplishment, GSP might be the GOAT. But when you mix it with the idea of pound for pound, of if they were in the same mythical weight class in their prime, who would actually win? And if they brought in the same strengths and weaknesses that they do in their own weight class to this mythical weight class, who would win? Despite the, the bad karma around him, John Jones is the best fighter I've ever seen and the best fighter to step foot in the octagon. But if GSP cut down to 155 and became the first triple champ in UFC history and moved down in weight, which is a desperation move that never works late in your career to move down in weight in either combat sport. Never. Desperate, monster desperation move. To do something like that and then do it, man, he's not just the GOAT. It's a new category of the GOAT. It's like these guys can't even look at him type of GOAT. And he'll only come back for that fight, and it's insanely dumb that Dana White's not giving him this opportunity. Insane. Defend your boy for a second. Def- try to, just, just sit here and try to defend Dana to me because it's insane that we are not seeing this fight, Brandon. Insane. I... Did I mention it was insane yet? You guys want to go back and be a f***ing bartender, a uh, short order cook, a f***ing scientist. If that's what you really want to be, then go for it. Yeah, Dana, if you don't make this fight, you're going to end up back there. You're going to end up back with the mafia in Boston teaching aerobics, all right? Make this fight. What is wrong here? 
So what were we talking about two weeks ago with Mikey when he was here? That Anderson Silva versus Conor McGregor would be the quote-unquote biggest pay-per-view of all time? Yes. Well, so I, telling... okay, I don't know. It, it would it would, <laughs> it would approach two million. Could it break? Could it break Connor Habib, which had everything going for it at that moment? Maybe not. What do you mean it had everything going for it? Connor was coming off a loss. Uh, it was a uh, former champion who hadn't lost his title against unbeaten dominant who guy who's, who 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 slid in his DMs underneath him and took it over. It was a fifty fifty fight on paper, and it had the soap opera element of the bus attack. It had everything possible going for it. That's why it sold two point four million pay per view buys. It's yeah, because the bus attack was more of the reasoning. But anyway, so go back to what to GSP Khabib. I don't think that it break it makes that kind of record on pay per view. I just don't. I think that it's a great fight. The problem is the two guys that are in that fight don't sell. Don't sell on their they're not they're not they're not trash talkers. History you know sells, what I'm saying? Brandon. History sells, okay? It history could, does sell. It could I, I understand. Two million. That. It could approach two million because this is insane history on the line. But those guys are also they seem pretty buddy buddy on social media. That seems like one of those good guy fights where they're like somebody takes somebody down, they scramble back to their feet, and they go, "Oh yeah, good job, good job." Nobody, no, 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 no. Habib doesn't have that with anybody inside of a cage. Maybe he's respectful outside of the cage, but come on, you don't mean that. I think that I lean towards the UFC making the right call here because of how much of a damn bleep show the 155 division is right now, man. So you're telling me that you would have wanted to see GSP parachute in to this division where we have already been talking about for months needing a damn eight-man tournament to decide who the number one is? You're not wrong. You're not wrong on that, okay? But how many chances do you get this kind of history? And here's why it's win-win for UFC to do this, okay? If GSP should somehow beat Habib at 155 and look good at that weight – and become the first three division champion. He is your number one with a bullet. He's already, by the way, the greatest role model UFC ever could have produced. If there's a multiple elements to his legacy, but his legacy as a good dude, as a great human being and representative of the sport is unrivaled. Too bad for him. He supports unions and when Dana hates that. That's, that's one of the big reasons here. I mean, what has GSP ever done wrong besides sleep in a grease bath before the BJ Penn rematch and lie to Dana? That he would fight Whitaker if he beat Bisping, right? Besides that, this guy's gold. You would want to set up your legend to have a chance to have a legendary moment because we as Americans cannot get away from the idea of somebody old doing something they're not supposed to do, right? So there would be so much intrigue on there. And should he lose? You take a guy in Habib who was unheard of in the general public before the Connor fight, got the biggest rub possible by kicking the crap out of Connor, and then doing a drop kick off the top of the octagon to get viral headlines, and then you have him beat GSP. Casual fans know like four fighters, right? Do you realize that my dad claims that he likes MMA, and up until a year ago he still thought it was no gloves and no rules and you can like eye gouge people? And I'm like, Dad, what are you talking about? And he'll tell people, oh, I like MMA. He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Casual fans know three fighters, and that's it, and one of them is Rousey, Okay. But they know them some GSP. The rub that Habib would get would be massive. And I can understand your defense that the lightweight division is too crowded. But I also will tell you this, Brandon, that this is the era of selling your soul if you're USC and Dana White as promoter. They'll throw belts at anybody 
They'll do anything that doesn't make sense toward their own BS rankings because they love money, and this fight offers money. You got any other excuses why this shouldn't be done? Talk to me about hijacking that belt and giving it up. Talk to me about that. Well, it's just funny. I I have this argument, but then at the same time, something we talk about in about 20 minutes is going to be, hey, by the way, we made another interim belt, guys. (laughs) So to your point, I, I understand what you're saying. The other side of it is this is what I will say. GSP has never done over a million pay-per-view buys. Did you know that? Are you sure about that? Because he was a pretty consistent pay-per-view draw. He almost, he approached a million twice. I thought with Bisping he did over. Nope, he did not. Not according to like the disclosed numbers. Are you going with Tapology? First of all, they don't disclose numbers. So it's all, it's all a crap shot. But did you, is that on Tapology? They seem to have it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm on. So listen, GSP versus Nick Diaz did 950,000 in 2013. 217, Bisbang against GSP with the other two title fights on it. That was a three title fight card in MSG. Did 875,000. His other one was, uh, St. Pierre against Jake Shields in 2011. Did 800,000. So. The, the, the BJ Penn rematch did 920. That's not a bad number. 920. Oh, okay. I missed that one. But yeah, so they all did around 800 to 900,000. I understand what you're saying. I get it. The money, money talks in this business at this point. The titles really don't mean much unless it's a, like, if you're gonna do this fight, actually, here's, here's a thought, BC. Don't put the 155 belt on the line. Make it one of those stupid WBC belts that they do when they have a big fight no, like the Connor, no. Connor Mayweather fight where they did the, the, First of all, the don't legacy try to make belt. Him act like boxing. And number two, if you take away the idea of, th- of the three division element for GSP, you've taken away 500,000 pay-per-view buys. And by the way, no, yes, I'm a little out of control saying this would do two million, but could it do a million and a half million and seven five? Yes, it's massive. Yeah. And we don't have a lot of fights that do that these days. So, uh, the history is what sells this fight. And if there's any idea from Dana going, well, this guy lied to me about the middleweight belt, and if he's just going to win his third title in which he's going to give up, who cares? D- Dana, you put interim belts on people and take them away for no reason. Nico Montano did the same thing that Amanda Nunez did, and you just stripped her belt because she sucks. That's why. There's no rules anymore. So the idea of I don't want to throw Habib at him and potentially give Habib's brand an L, guess what? Habib's a wild card. He may never fight again for his own convictions at any point if he gets pissed off, all right? He's a guy who probably won't become a giant pay-per-view star on his own, like, moving forward, unless he's matched with the right guy, like a GSP or a Connor. So I don't think you're risking that much by doing this. I just think there's more to gain than lose. I think it's a Dana thing where he's like, I'm not letting this guy get one over on me again. And let's also be a little honest here. Isn't GSP repped by Super Agent Nick Khan? Isn't is. Super Agent is Nick Khan's yeah. biggest rival, WMEIMG, which owns the UFC? Are you doing the math? <laughs> yeah. So I will just say this as a part of what you're saying about worrying about wins and losses for certain people and the belt and everything. Don't ask me how, but I ended up listening to a John Taffer podcast this weekend when he had Dana White on as a guest. And Dana White Was said – What? Was it a recent podcast? Yeah, it was like on um, President's Day. And he talked to, D- to Dana about the brand and how they've grown from a $2, billion, $2 million company to $4.6 billion and all that stuff. The biggest thing I took away that like made my ear pop was like Dana said losses don't matter to the fans anymore. In his mind and in their brand strategy, they don't think 
because because of how they ma- match up their fighters with the best against the best no matter what, he doesn't think fans care about losses. So that's why he keeps throwing Connor into these big situations where it's a no lose for him. Even if Connor's on a three fight losing streak in, in that theory, Connor can still main event whatever pay per view is coming up next because people are still going to buy it even though he's losing. I don't think that's completely genuine. I think what he's saying is unlike in boxing where unbeaten records are used as such a giant part of marketing, losses don't matter in that regard to UFC, but losses matter. I'll particularly consecutive losses or three losses, then you start to matter. I think he's just saying that people can be rebuilt easier with losses, right? With wins coming back off of L's, whatever. But so it's interesting how that plays into what the point you're trying to make though. So to, to just off of that theory though, you, so you think the only legacy fight for GSP at this point, or at least that GSP thinks would be a Khabib fight. In his mind, yes. I, and I, and look, yeah, you made a great argument on Woodley, but in his mind, to extend his legacy, that's the only thing. But wouldn't a win over somebody like Connor do even more just by on brand recognition alone? No, because he, and, my, and I'm, now I'm not speaking for him, I'm speaking for myself. He's a, the much larger fighter, naturally. I think he would be expected to win, especially with Connor having been if you if you believe he was exposed by Habib, then I think this would be a time where, where GSP even at this age would be the favorite, and it would be expected that he won. Okay, I just think that if you're looking at legacy and money, the the Connor fight makes more sense than Khabib to me. But GSP's old school. He's not about the money. He's about what what the wins and the titles and all that mean. So that's why I but respect is he? that. He is. Are you sure? Because it seems is. like this all came down to money for Khabib. GSP not happening. I think it came down to to Dana holding grudges. Are you are you where are you hearing the money element? You think that GSP asked for too much? There seems to be a lot of Twitter rumors about the, just the way that that press conference looked last week with GSP, where he didn't really have emotion. He was pretty dry. Like, hey guys, it's done, man. I'm done. I, I don't think feel he said I, the right things. I think he said the right things about like you know I don't want to be told to leave the sport. I want to leave on my own regard, and that's really respectful, and we can believe that. But I know what he is as a businessman. Do you not remember when, like, to get back into the UFC when he had the Under Armour sponsorship a couple years ago when UFC was full on Reebok, they had to bring some uh, people to the table, meaning Nick Khan and Freddie Roach, to try to save that. And, I mean, GSP was savvy. He's a savvy businessman, which, mean, which means I believe he does only want this fight and no other, and I believe he's willing to sit out the rest of the way. So any weird elements you took from that press conference, I would agree with that because I think there is a savvy – move to this yes he's willing to walk away for good if he has to and he by the way now holds the leverage in that regard because he's going out on his terms but i think it was smart to go through the pomp and circumstance of a retirement because guess what happened the second it was announced you had habib on instagram saying no 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 i'll fight you later this year and if it has to be 165 for you i'll do that too and i think he knows that habib's an outspoken dude who stands up for his own things and maybe he's hoping habib goes to dana and is like look I only want one fight too, and it's GSP, or I will retire. I know that's me, poor, you know, pushing that element out there that hasn't happened, but isn't Habib the right guy to stand out on his own? I think there's some strategy in what GSP's doing here, and I think you have to you have to respect that. So I think that was my chaos theory when we broke when we saw the news broke on Wednesday about this was that Khabib and his agent Ali, your boy, have been going out here and saying a lot of interesting things ever since the Connor fight saying Khabib really only wants to fight one or two more times, and then he's going to retire. 
he's not going to hold on too long. He wants to he wants to be undefeated and he wants to be a 30 or 31 and 0 first ever UFC fighter to retire undefeated. So what does he want in terms of legacy? What does he need to build up his brand a little bit more so that he gets legitimized as a true lightweight champion? Because a lot of people still don't recognize him as that because he only beat Ally Aquinta on 12 hours notice and then Connor, who many people didn't even think of as the champion at that point. So I can see what you're saying where Khabib goes to Dana and says, hey, I might not have much leverage right now because of the situation I put myself in here, but I want GSP. I don't want Tony. I don't want Dustin. I don't want Max. I want GSP because that's going to be a big win on my resume. Look, I don't care who you are. When you get a taste of that big money, it changes you. Habib got a taste of that money against Connor. That's why afterwards suddenly he's going, uh, I want Floyd. I want this. I want that. Yes, you're right. And I think the more he goes to strategic businessman, uh, Habib and not Habib who's willing to say, keep my two million. I don't care. I think you're more likely for him to push for this and you're more likely for GSP to get it. Cause at the end of the day, Dana is a, a money savage, right? I mean, he's the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. End of story. You know? There's only one boss that Dana has, and that's money, and and he still has to please the new owners in terms of are we moving enough pay-per-views, and this is one that moves it. Mikey, tell me. So my people I would buy the crap out of guys. this fight. They would buy. They would, would bathe in it. I would. They'd rub it on all their it. parts, all the gross parts. They'd rub it on. My thing is from Khabib's side. Habib's side, is there anyone in that lightweight division that's going to build up his name? Like Tony Ferguson, if he goes out there and he just walks through Tony Ferguson, no one's going to consider that as like a legitimate challenger to him going it. forward. He, he, just so, he just nailed it, Brando. So my my question is, is like, is GSP the only name for Habib that will build his legacy? So you're right. Now, what, which legacy are we talking about, though? The, you're talking more commercial than critical, right? You're talking – Stardom? You're talking about building Yeah, brand? stardom. Building stardom for There's, there's for... when the debate comes interesting. Because although lightweight is all killer and no filler, you're right. If he main events against Tony Ferguson for, and they've booked this for the fifth fight, and it's a fight we need and deserve, by the way, from a critical rankings, who's the man standpoint, Brandon, how many pay-per-view buys does that move? Oh man. It's gotta be about a million? Nope. How many? 450, bro. <laughs> Sorry, 451 and a half. I just nailed oh. it. Right? I just <laughs> nailed it right here. I just, come on. That's how I get down. Yes, Mikey, you're on to something here. And everyone else, you know, unless it's Nate Diaz, really, unless it's Nate Diaz, nobody else has taken him to the, to that level of money. And again, when you taste that money, Connor's life got ruined, his fighting life, by tasting that money, by having a chance to taste that Floyd money. Never it's crazy that. to say, but, we're, we're talking about Holloway going up in weight, and that doesn't even move the needle for me. Like a Holloway-Habib fight doesn't – I love the fight, and I love Max Holloway. He's one of my favorite fighters, but I don't know if that's going to do much for Habib's legacy and help building his his star power. And if he's only got two or three left to go, he wants big ones. So, hey, it's interesting. It's interesting. Wouldn't you love to see Habib be like, all right – I'm going to rematch Connor. I'm going to fight GSP. Then I'm going to fight Woodley. Then I'm out of here. Or throw in, you know, or substitute Holloway for one of those three. I mean, he would have, we've said it before on the show, he would have quite an interesting resume where you'd have to go, okay, 
not enough names for me to comfortably putting him put him in there with that goat table. But how do we keep him out of that? You know, if if he goes unbeaten and just dominates these guys, hey, it's interesting. All right, it's it's you know who's not coming back though. Your boy Chris Weidman not coming back to that level. That's all right. <laughs> I just had to throw that shot in for you. Uh, all right. So GSP, um, uh, yeah, I think it's a savvy business move. I think it could play out for him. But let's talk a little bit about, about this legacy. All right. Brandon, could he be the greatest of all time? And I'm just missing it because I focus a little bit too much on the John Jones for as sketchy as balls as he really is, is, is the greatest fight I've ever seen. Oh, man. I've been tossing this back and forth in my head for since the news happened because I grew up in the era with Anderson Silva just knocking fools out left and right. Just one of my first memories of watching UFC was going to Duffy's here in Del Rey and watching the Forrest Griffin fight. And I went in all in on Forrest like, oh, he's going to knock him out. This is going to be great. And Anderson Silva just made a man look silly like a child by bobbing and weaving, not getting touched and lighting up Forrest Griffin. So to me in that moment, Anderson Silva was my almost Muhammad Ali because he was like just so weird, so different. And his style was always, I will stand in front of you and you won't touch me. That was to me, greatness in encapsulated human video game. Right. But I also look at GSP and another one that I remember, I think Mikey said before that he was there, was UFC 100 with GSP against Tiago Alves. And going in, Tiago Alves was supposed to be the bulldog, the pit bull. He was supposed to be in there and he was going to rough up GSP. He was going to take GSP down to the ground and he was going to ground and pound him to death. Except that GSP beat the holy hell out of Tiago Alves for five rounds. And Tiago Alves could barely stand after that fight. To me, I think GSP is greatness because I think he's the greatest because of the way that he went about his legacy. He may have lost twice in that run that he had, but he avenged them to like multiple fold. Like his wins over Sarah when, when by the way, again, the fact that Matt Sarah got into the Hall of Fame. Because he beat GSP. 11-7 and seven record. No, he got in the Hall of Fame because he's best boys with Dana and they do that reality show together. Let's be honest. But he got into the Hall of Fame because of the win over yes. GSP. Greatest like, upset in UFC history. Yes. And then he just smoked him in the rematch. And the Matt Hughes wins were just incredible. I, to me, George St. Pierre, because of that, because of what we were talking about before with how much he was just anti-bullying. He got into the sport because he didn't want to get bullied anymore. He learned wrestling after college. Like, he was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and he never had wrestled before, like, starting to train for MMA. How is that even possible? When you hear guys like DC say, you learn to wrestle at 10, and you still don't perfect it at at 30. Like, it's unbelievable. To me, he is the most well-rounded fighter we've ever seen He's probably going to get eclipsed at some point just because that's the, the nature of the sport and the nature of evolution in this sport. But to me, George St. Pierre is the greatest of all time. I want to tell you what I love about him in a second, though. But first, a word from our friends and sponsors. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. 
Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Here's the thing. You nailed it about DSP being so well-rounded. I think he's the first truly mixed martial artist in that he didn't come to the game with one specific skill, yet he exits with a lot of people thinking he's the greatest wrestler of all time because of how he was able to control guys with smarts and athleticism. He might be the smartest fighter of all time. His game-planning ability was second to none. And the times in his career, look, he learned a lot from that loss to Matt Serra, right? And what he learned was, I'm not going to be as aggressive and take as many chances. He became... UD5 GSP, right? He's going to take you five rounds no matter what. And that became a little bit of a shot at him. But the thing was, there was an efficiency in there. He knew how to, to how to disarm guys, take away their one skill, and out game plan them. And it's really for what he stood up for that I most respect him. Built his career coming off of, of, uh, of being bullied and was always spoken out about that. The fact that he walked away at his prime, 32, after that Johnny Hendricks fight, that tough-ass split decision win, which I think he lost, but either way, took a beating that night. The fact that he was so honest about the anxiety that sort of seemed to take over his life. Being champion was nerve-wracking for him because he's constantly game-planning against other people stealing his spot. He was honest about the head trauma, that he had a concussion in that post-fight press conference, and that the damage was acting up. And he was most honest about steroids, that he didn't feel UFC had a proper drug testing protocol at the time, and he didn't want to compete until they did. And that you got to have balls to stand up for that. And I think all this plays into why Dana isn't the biggest GSP fan. He's got some Randy Couture in him. He's got some, once I realize my own strength, I'm going to stand up for things that the UFC might not like. And I think GSP, historically, it'll take a while, but we'll look back at him as somewhat of a pioneer for fighter rights. He spoke out for the union that time with Bjorn Rebney and TJ Dillashaw and others who seem to be, keep getting, uh, hurt from being part of that. But, uh, Kane you know, Velasquez. Cain Velasquez is one of them too. Yeah, who keep getting held back for being part of that. But, uh, you know, he stood up for that. And then let's not forget, it was announced in March 2017 that GSP was coming back and he was fighting Bisping. He wasn't healthy. UFC told him behind the scenes to lie and say that he was. He came out that summer and out of them because he's a man of conviction and truth. And I respect that about him the most because this is – he came up through a generation where the UFC owned you. You could not stand up to the machine. And in his own ways, he did. He was a man of his word. He had two defeats, and he avenged them both by stoppage. That's some Lennox Lewis crap right there. I mean, who who's walked away on top? We talked about this in boxing and MMA. Who's walked away as champion on top on their own terms? It's like – Rocky Marciano, Floyd Mayweather, Lennox Lewis, and GSP. I know I'm missing one or two, maybe boxer in the smaller weight classes, but it's incredibly rare. Joe Calzaghe walked away and beat, but it's incredibly rare to do that as champion with big fights available for you on your own terms. I respect everything that he's done and doing. If he's not the GOAT, I don't think he is, but he's right friggin' there. 
And I think there's very little fights that could get him over that hump. And I think he'd only come back for that big one. And I love me some GSP. I love this man. And it was going through all this right in the, 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 you know, obituary, I was going to say, right in the newser that he's retiring, writing the column about his legacy that you sort of realize, like, in this day and age of trash talking, he's awful at trash talking, but like in an endearing way. I'm not impressed by your performance. Oh, and as Brandon points out, uh, fruitfully there, he wore really bad jorts down to his ankles. <laughs> this guy's kind of <laughs> like a nerd in a way. Yeah. Like we love this man. I got what Mikey, give me something bad to say about him. Did he grease for the BJ rematch? What do you got here? He was a little shiny. That skin was a little shiny for that BJ match, but I was just to pile on for you guys. Michael Bisbing came out and said GSP is who fighters or who young fighters should model themselves after. Yes. And what I was gonna say to you is like I remember GSP being a stand up guy from not you never really heard about a lot of nonsense with him. It was kind of, hey, this is his fight. He's going into his fight. You get a little crappy trash talk from his end. Not um, not the greatest of trash talk, but you get that, and then you get the fight. You get a fight where he's going to go out there and, like you said, dominate someone for five rounds. He literally took away all these guys' strongest um, attribute in their fight game and completely nulled it, and then in some of these cases beat these guys at their own game, which is crazy to see, and... It stinks that we're not going to see the Habib fight because I would love to see GSP's wrestling against his right, with the size advantage. Let's, let's pause our lives right now. Who the hell wins that fight at 155 for the lightweight title? GSP at 38 against Habib. I said it's the, I said it's the most, it's the most interesting fight that I would want to see right now is I just would like to see, I don't know who's going to challenge Habib's wrestling. And I think GSP, with a little bit of a size advantage coming down to 55, could give him some trouble because he was wrestling with some of the best wrestlers that we've seen in the UFC. Like John Fitch used to lay on everyone and no one could get up, and GSP destroyed him. So I would like to see his wrestling tested out. I know it's not looking great as of right now, but, man, I wish. He's the only guy I wouldn't worry about him going into this fight, like, would he be sucked out at that weight? Would he not be the same guy? Because he's so calculated that I don't think he would sign the dotted line on the paper for that fight unless he knew that he could get through a camp and, and could still be himself. Like, he's that sort of dedicated to the minutia and the craft of it all. See, I just think I, – I disagree, though. I just think no matter what the weight is for him, because we just saw with TJ Dillashaw, man, like, he was the one who who has the science down on how to cut down weight, and he cut to 125 even though we didn't think he could – I don't think GSP is able to compete at 155. I think for all as strong as his wrestling game is and as strong of, of a stand-up guy as he still somewhat has, we haven't really we didn't really see it in the Bisming fight, but he still can stand and bang for a minute. I think that Khabib's wrestling is just next level. It's the next evolution of what GSP's wrestling game was. Because again, you hear what these guys say after these fights with Khabib. He wrestles like a heavyweight. And he's 155 pounds. Like I just don't see GSP either getting up from that or taking him down. I just, I just don't see it. So I think Khabib would dominate that fight. I think you should shut shut up. You're embarrassing yourself right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are you still drunk? Oh, what, what's no. going on? No. So you're still drunk for that Super Bowl party? This guy, GSP, not not accepting that. Hey, it'd be, it'd be really, really friggin' interesting to see. Uh, wow, what a legend, man. GSP, thank you for your time, for your service. Uh, you guys have a favorite GSP memory? You got something here we can celebrate? You got anything that, that still pops you on the inside out? What do you got? What do you got? 
UFC 87 was the first UFC that I ever went to. And that was him versus Fitch. And I just remember that fight. Uh, Port brought us there, our, our uh, big boss here, and John Anik went with them yes. to watch that fight. And it was incredible. That's what got me into the sport was that main event. Love that. Uh, you wow. got to go. I think you got to go the, the Carlos Condon head kick, man. That, and that's what he said was his most proud moment of any other. Getting up from a head kick that clearly rattled him, and he still seems to have some of the lingering effects from it. And then finishing that fight against Condon is just, to me, that embodies everything that is GSP in that in that sport. I got to go with his with the two seventeen win over Bisping, and it was because you know being cage side for that that was an insanely special night with the Dillashaw knockout of Cody, which popped the crowd, followed by Rose knocking out Joanna, which made the crowd insane, and then to have that GSP moment and the what he did. I mean, you were in the building with me, Brandon, when he stood up, raised his arms, and just sort of. Took in that moment. It, it, it was very special. There's, it was one of those rare ones in covering any combat sport where you got goosebumps in that moment. You just knew that this was Jordan holding up the hand after hitting the butt, you know, hitting the last shot to beat the Jazz. It was certainly one of those. I never felt more happy for an athlete. Look again, I was never a GSP super fan. Sometimes our biases come in. I love me some Rockhold. I'm not convinced that Rockhold didn't force GSP to retire with this promo. GSP. I don't know what I need to do. You want me to beat some sense into you? You don't belong here. You're going to get crushed. Better back out. Get out of this thing while you still can. This is my fight. This is my fight. And I'll be there as soon as, sooner than you, mother. Wow, wow, Luke. If this was Luke, I wouldn't be able to talk with a, uh, I wouldn't be able to get separate, you know, fan fiction from reality. GSP, that moment beating Bisping, even I was just, I was just dripping. It just, it was so, it was, oh man, there was sweat involved, there were feels, there was, you know, it was poor, yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fluids going on. You with me, Wise? Well, we talked about it at the fight, cause when we were, we were sitting there, you were writing the recap for the fight and everything, you were trying to get the sense of everything going on, and the arena had emptied. Like it was everybody had already entered outside to go back home or do whatever after the fight. And that man is still by himself. His family. I think his family had even left the octagon. He was standing there by himself, just like looking around, embracing it. And yeah, like that was just we were just like, dude, what is he doing? And you're just like, dude, he's in the moment. He's he's he, he's going to live this moment for the rest of his life. And you felt like his brother in there. <laughs> but, <laughs> you were just you were just his hype man it, to me. Without talking to GSP, because then GSP didn't even come to the press conference after. Oh, man, GSP. I, lo- I loved him in that moment. I love him. Yoel, take us out of here. I love you. See you soon. Yes, boy, I love him. All right. Uh, thank you, GSP. We'll, we'll, we'll see you again only if, if Habib can t- send you the location. Uh, guys, let's get into what we saw this weekend. It turned out to be fairly interesting. On paper, this UFC prog card, not moving my needle, but Brandon Wise forced me to watch it. And you know what? <laughs> there were some moments. We can't go any further here without talking about your boy, Bantamweight Peter Yan. Wow. Fireworks. Any unanimous decision win against John Dodson. Mike, be an independent third-party contractor here. How much is Peter Yan moving your needle? Uh, you could see right in the rundown, I say, don't know much about Yan, but a win over Dodson's huge. 4-0 and in the UFC, already ranked 14th. I had no clue who this guy was coming into the fight, to be completely honest. Is he honest. Habib Light? Is that what we're going to call him? I mean, this guy's a monster. I had to get BC woke to this man. I need to get you woke to this yeah. man because Peter Yan is like, 
I don't know how to put. He is what I wanted for Hick Diaz. You remember Hick Diaz, my boy? Oh God, that guy's the worst. Was Mississippi, it? Mississippi, Mean yes. uh, Jason Knight, who's going to do bare knuckle brawling. Oh by Can we way. pause this telecast? Jason Knight versus uh, 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 Connor's boy for the freaking bare knuckle yeah, boxing um, championship. God, yeah. Artem, Ar- uh, yeah, Artem Lobov, the go. Wow, wow. <laughs> but yeah, so Peter Yan, he has the ability to make anybody an interesting fight. Like, John Dodson has a bad reputation for being, I'm just going to slowly grind, I'll land a few punches, but I'm really not going to stand and trade with you. Peter Yan presses the action. He had Dodson on his back foot the entire fight, and he just came in there, demolished him. Like, he didn't get the knockout, but there were multiple times in that fight where you could see Dodson's chin turn or go back because Yan was just throwing everything at him. I think that guy needs to be a top five fighter at this point at Bantamweight because what else does he need to do to get to get people's attention? He he didn't finish John Dodson. Nobody finished John Dodson. You know, like it's that kind of guy. He's got a tough chin. I think Peter Yan is slowly building his resume. If he gets another two or three wins this year, he might be that kind of like prospect of the year needing a title fight by 2020. He is friggin' Do you fun. let him fight Jimmy Rivera? As his next step up in competition. Say, this, this division's in transition, but there are suddenly some names popping up right now. There's, there's some, how, how, how high you want to go here, uh, Sean Shelby Wise? Where are you going with this? Well, I like, I actually like, um, Mikey's suggestion. Jimmy Rivera seems interesting just because he was at the top for a while. He's now on a two fight losing streak and kind of needs a, not, I don't even know what to call it for Jimmy Rivera. He needs a chance to show that he can still bang and can still strike with the top guys at bantamweight, but, if Peter Yan wins that fight, he's suddenly a number three or number four contender. By the way, did you see – we'll talk about it again in a minute. But did you see Aljamain subtweeting UFC that they still have Dominic Cruz ranked number four at bantamweight even though he's been <laughs> inactive for over a year and a half? I thought that was pretty funny. That was funny. Uh, look, I'd see him against Thomas Almedia. I'd see him against Rob Font. I'd see him against the banger John Lineker, who's, by the way, going to be headlining a card in your backyard, Wiseman. You don't understand what it's like to hang out with Brandon Wise and hear him complain <laughs> that MMA does not come to South Florida. Now they're coming to your city, bro, okay? John, they're coming, they're coming to my backyard, literally. Like, they're coming within eight miles of my apartment. It's amazing. Wow. South Florida and backyards, I think, Kimbo. No, that's uh, that's uh, what do you call it? Pirine. That's Pirine in in West West Florida. All right, sorry, West Florida. Uh, yeah, look, business there. Jimmy Rivera, that'd be a fun fight. They, they'd bang, they'd bang. Al Jermaine, I'd, I'd see that. Dominic Cruz, don't come back if Peter Giannis is around. <laughs> do not do that. Uh, interesting card, guys, on Saturday. There were moments like Liz Carmouche getting her ass punched a lot. <laughs> Can we explain what happened there? Uh, Lucy Pudilova. So Liz. What I you can you pronounce that girl's name because I'm gonna what struggle. Is it, like Pujalova, something like that. So, Carmouche had her in a leg lock, trying to hook in the heel to to get the submission. And the girl's last name that you just said that I'm not gonna try to say. She was rolling out of it, and she, uh, Carmouche no longer had like the control of the leg, but she was still in better top position, I guess you say. So, so she's starting to throw elbows. Literally onto Carmouche's butt, just Look, over a, and over again. <laughs> there's an interesting debate here. Do in the women's game, like wait, so an elbow to the ass was kind of funny, I guess. It was weird, like I would say, yeah, you did. But it, uh, like we know in men's game, you can't punch the crotch. Can you punch the 
crotch and the ladies came. We're going to have to edit this part out after. Is that legal? Can you, cause some, you know, you know where the, the body parts are on people. If you go for that elbow to the A and you miss, you could, where, we're, we're somewhere we shouldn't be, but how are you going to get us out of here? <laughs> I, just want, I wanted to see how far you were going to go down that rabbit hole by yourself. Um, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, she seemed to be hitting the outside of her butt where like the muscle, the bone is. So I, yeah, let's get yeah, out of here. Let's please. get out of that. In a <laughs> wow, wow. Um, so hey, Liz Carmouche Gorilla gets the win. That, but, but I think that whole situation was even more entertaining than her actual win. But uh, your boy John Volante took a body shot from hell. He, oh he will not God. be climbing the the two hundred five rankings anytime soon. Uh, Poor John Volante. Uh, you gonna pronounce the guy who beat him's last name? Nope, you're going to. All right. Hey, um, so I thought I was done moving on with the Stefan Struve era because it's fun. I know he's seven foot seven and it's great, and he's got a jujitsu game, and he doesn't realize how tall he is. But everyone sends, folds him up in a suitcase and, and gives him a one-way ticket to hell. And just as I was like, you know what, for the sake of this guy's brain, because somehow he's not even 30 years old yet, can he just be done? Can he finish? And then he out of nowhere just full-on chokes out Marcos Rogerio de Lima, Brock uh, uh, Carwin style, and I guess he's back now. I don't know if I – do I need this guy in my life anymore? Okay, but hold on. You're, you're skipping the point here where Lima – Literally dropped him five seconds into the fight. Everybody drops this guy. You, you <laughs> like, got look at some point. You got to tuck the chin. It's not open for debate. Uh-oh. The chin has to be tucked. Ask any striking coach, Karen. You're very good at reading the teleprompter. We are the fighters, okay? The chin has to be tucked. The chin has to be tucked in. No, no. Bisping's not wrong there. Tuck that thing. Stop getting sent to hell. It was just so bizarre. Because Delima is what six three to seven to Struve seven three, and he just throws an overhand right that just uh, catches Struve. I think Struve is like six eleven. Let's not let's not get too wild here. I know I was putting him up in Manu Bowl territory, but yeah, I mean it's just, it's just get a jab, bro. Right? Hey, hey. But to your point, he says that he's calling it a career. He did. I did not see that. I did not. see Yeah. That. Are you telling he me right put now? the he put the gloves down in the octagon after the fight and said. That's it. I, I'm not sure yet. He said I'm an overthinker, but I'm going to put these down in the in the intent with the intention of retiring from the sport because you know he I wanted t- to go out with a win, and this was the best case scenario. I for changed him. my tune. 31 years old, he's been knocked out by everybody. So, I mean, it really actually isn't as bad as as I remember. When you look at his record, there's decision losses there. There's some submission losses, but he's going to end up on the wrong end more often than not. I'll give him credit. He had a unique career. He, he's a legit submission artist. But, I mean, he knocked out Stipe. How is that even possible? Like, how did that happen? Mikey, did that actually happen in 2012? Did Stipe ah. Miocic get knocked out by the skyscraper? It is crazy because Stefan Struve has zero head movement. I remember him coming into the UFC and being like, wow, this dude's seven feet tall or however tall he was and being so intrigued by him. And he was young, I believe. I want to say he was early, early 20s when he popped into the UFC. And then he had those heart problems and never really got fully to his potential. I believe that he could have been as a fighter, but I think it's a win for him. You know, like, like Brandon was saying, he goes out on top with a win. Um, he's going out on his own terms. He has had some pretty devastating knockout losses. So I'm with Struve on this, you know, go out on top, even if it was a pretty interesting win. 
And to be fair to Struve, he came out in like the prime heavyweight era when they had real killers at heavyweight. And it was the, when they, when they finally had introduced like the limit on 265. So he fought everybody of note at heavyweight from, from 2009 to 2019. And damn it if he didn't still impress us sometimes because that win over Pat Barry when he got the submission on triangle was amazing. And like you said, the Stipe win was awesome. Yeah. Like he had some moments where you went, okay, maybe he's finally putting it together. They were quickly followed up by lot by huge losses to like Alistair Overeem and Mark Hunt. But he gave you those moments where it's like, all right, this is why we watch the sport. Good Lord. Big Nog lost to him. That's when it's just time to walk (laughs) away. Uh, he ends up taking KO losses to Dos Santos, Roy Nelson, Travis Brown, Mark Hunt, Overeem. Alexander Volkov. All right, yeah, that's a decent amount in there. You know, he had he had an interesting career. I'll give him credit for knowing when to walk away. I just opened up the show and just ripped the crap out of him. So, Stefan Struve, thank you for your time. Thank you for your services. Your credit to your to your uh, to community. He makes gun signs with the right hand and animal balloons with the left hand. So, you're a credit to the community. All right, well, that was disrespectful, but you get what I'm saying there. Um, in the main event, do we have a light heavyweight title contender now? This is the worst division in all of UFC. John Jones on top, Gustafson below him, DC lingering, and nobody else. That's why we're going to see Anthony Smith this Saturday fight for a title. But Tiago Santos drops and destroys Jan I never Blachevich. get Yeah, Blachevich. I guess you can go with that. I always get this guy's name wrong. Um, I mean, it's a good win, but Tiago Santos is not screaming title contender to me. Definitely not. I, we, we were talking about this before the show, me and Mikey, and if you actually think that Tiago Santos is going to be next for John Jones, you must not realize that UFC's waiting to see what happens here with John Jones and Daniel Cormier because they want to make that trilogy fight before DC retires. Definitely. So I don't see that I Tiago Santos might be next for the 205 title, but that's only because um John Jones goes to heavyweight, you know, and doesn't defend the 205 belt. Let me remind you that uh Tiago Santos uh second round TKO win over Anthony Smith just last year. Can you imagine if that's where we end up? Seriously. Like if Anthony Smith somehow pulls off the miracle this weekend stop, and it's stop. Tiago Santos versus Anthony Smith in a rematch that people probably didn't even watch the first time for the 205 pound title in UFC. Well, I want Jones Cormier three at heavyweight so badly because I think it's just a much more interesting fight. I think DC deserves a chance to do it in that division after John's drug testing issues and all that. But think about it. If John moved up to heavyweight, who fights for the title in that division? Is it like, Gustafson against the winner of Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos too? I mean, what the heck does, like, no! No, you know who it is? Anthony Rumble Johnson. Oh, oh, have you know. seen his Instagram lately? Yeah, I'm pretty he, sure he, he weighs 350 pounds right now. <laughs> this, this, this He's man. the largest human being there is. Coca showed me a picture on his Instagram. He might be walking sideways through doors with that frame. He's huge. I, mean, I guess there's a chance Dom Reyes can make a run here. Your guy Beefy Latifa, his his days are over. Jimmy Manua, not happened. OSP, not happened. Shogun's washed. Vulcan, you're not the guy we thought you were. Hey, Jan Blachowicz, you just got sent to hell. I guess it's really wide open here for uh Corey Tom- Anderson. No, Misha Circum. No, oh god, it's going to be Johnny Walker Red against this dude with the Thor hammer on his chest, isn't it? That's what it's going to be. <laughs> oh god. 
Yeah, I knew I hated this division for a reason. There you go. But, uh, wow. Wow. Can we just make this third fight already? John Jones, get your together. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for it. Look, there's not, not everything in the UFC works, but that fight works. Brandon Wise, come on. I can be fat. I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. Well, my dick works. And uh, I guess that, uh, I guess that also works. No more dick pills, right? No more dick pills. All right. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, anything else? Any other takeaways from Prague? Uh, not from Prague, but for Bellator. Yeah, Bellator yeah. 217. The, str- the Strab Animal is back. <laughs> sure, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, the only thing I have from Bellator. None of the fights mattered to me. I, I I could really care, honestly, because they were all kind of just get well fights for the Irish team and SBG guys. Dude, that atmosphere was just electric. It was the the whole crowd. It was I think it was like eight to ten thousand fans in attendance at that arena. The three and, arena in Dublin. And they were singing every song without needing the music. Like <laughs> they were singing "Sweet Caroline." They were singing. Uh, zombie by the cranberries like just and all in unison and i that's the kind of atmosphere that i just want to live in for the rest of my life because you will never be sad you'll just always be happy i'm with you on that look the 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 uk ireland like they they know how to get down watch these british boxing matches with anthony joshua and you're just like wow eighty thousand people in these stadiums just going nuts there's just a there's a rabid energy there, and I look. I gotta just negatively shout out here, uh, Bellator and zone. Like guys, it's 2019. This fight this fight card cannot be it. It's a tape delay card in which Bellator is tweeting out highlights live, yet we can't watch it for another six hours for no reason whatsoever. From my point of view, maybe there's rights issues, but come on, guys, this can't happen. This was a decent card, just in like the. Just in the main event level of trying to see if James Gallagher bounces back, and he did. First round submission win, rear naked choke over Stephen Graham. Looked to be all back from the knockout loss. Looked to have his, his confidence back. Said the right things coming in. Looked great. You saw the the chubby dude Charlie Ward, Conor McGregor's boy, got a got a big knockout win. Conor was not there to leap the cage though and uh, get into a fight with Mark Goddard. But uh, great atmosphere. It reminds me of to a to a larger degree than we saw with Ali Malay McFarland's uh, Hawaii reception. So hey, Bell, Bellator, you're doing things right here. Just do it so we can watch it, right? Yeah. Live I, live matters. Can we do that? It, it was so weird that, especially when you have a partnership with the Zone, you can't get on streaming. Like what 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 was the Zone streaming at that point? Just nothing. Just well, reruns. They, it's weird. The Zone counter streams against themselves often too so i don't like it's like they'll have two boxing cards at the same time going on or boxing against mma which you could argue isn't the best strategy but then again it's in it's an on-demand streaming thing so who knows if that's actually a wrong strategy like you're going to go there and watch what you want anyway so it's not like it's it's a channel on your tv right I so it's I mean, so it could weird. be an app on your TV. It's, streaming's weird. It's the future, but it's weird. Hey, follow us at cbssports.com slash live streaming 24 seven coming at you. There's your, there's your commercial. There, there <laughs> it is. All right. Um, let's get to the important stuff, man. There was some news this week. Yeah. Um, well, did you see breaking news? Dylan Danis just got slapped on the wrist for his involvement in the UFC 20, 229 I, brawl. Really? Really? That's what you're going to throw at me when I say the important news? Well, I, I saw I got an alert on it, but I what <laughs> was it? Uh, it looks like seven months suspension, seventy five hundred dollars for the role in the two twenty nine post brawl. I mean, suspend that guy for seven years, please. Just get Stop him away. It. I need more of him. I need him in the. Uh, no, in you the don't. I need more. Okay. Anyway, the real news from this week that we didn't get to last week: 
Two interim title fights have been announced. Both for the same card. Damn card. Brandon's dream of finally figuring out what UFC 236 is, what it looks (laughs) like. We know it's what, April? April 13th. And now we know it'll be in Atlanta, brother. That's not too far from you. You're going to make a pilgrimage? Atlanta for two fights that really matter and some fights that don't matter below that, but that's fine. Mikey and I will make the pilgrimage. We'll just, uh, you know, get the old CBS Sports van together yes, and uh, take this podcast on the road. Let's do it. <laughs> we got PVZ on that card. Let's do it, brothers. OSP. But Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight championship. Hmm. Your thoughts, BC? This is um, it's a circus s show, isn't it? The UFC here. Um. Yeah, so it's good from the sense that Dustin Poirier seemed like he was ready to quit and had some interesting tweets of saying, just just fire me already, because he was not getting Connor, it seemed like. it was He was not getting Habib. He was not getting, uh, it seemed, anything. But this is weird, because if the only, there's one person who's uber-deserving of anything, and that's Tony Ferguson, for the way things played out heading into April of last year. Freak at injury, had to pull out of the fourth time making the Habib fight. Then... Habib goes into a Connor match, so Tony's got to fight Pettis. It's not like he came back to the title. And now he's sort of the odd man out, although we're finding out he was offered this fight and turned it down. What was he offered, Max? He had to be, right? So he it had to be. Yep, it says right here, hey, uh, Tony was offered the interim lightweight title fight against Holloway, but he turned it down. He, Ferguson did not immediately respond. So he's a man of his principles. turns it down because it's a title he used to have that got stripped from him. I don't know. Like, on okay, at a surface, Holloway Poirier, love this fight. Obviously, it's going to bang. But the fact that we're bringing back an interim title that was pulled off of Tony for really no reason, probably shouldn't even have been created in the first place, and now you're doing it just to – look, here's what interim titles are these days. They're just excuses to sell more pay-per-views. There's band-aids that you put on a pay-per-view because it's it's rare to impossible these days outside of like a – Nate Diaz Connor situation that they'll put a main event fight that isn't a title fight. I mean, you really have to look very few in history have been main event non title fights, right? I'm thinking like Rashad Rampage is a rare one. There's been some rare ones across uh, along the way, but you obviously devalue a title when you float too many like uh, interim titles, but you then devalue an interim title when you float them and take them away for no reason. Now we're just at the point where it's a joke yet. Guess what? Friggin' love this fight. Want to see it. But I just don't know why Max Holloway has to be in this division right now. If you, Unless you're going to show me proof that he cannot make 145 anymore. Look, I had fears about him. Against Ortega, he removed any fears. Any fear. He was amazing. Why are we bringing him into a division that's already way too crowded right now? Can you explain that to me? So here's the theory. Going back to what we were talking about with GSP, right? And how the UFC ultimately said no to having GSP parachute in for a title fight against Khabib, right? Here's a conspiracy theory for you. They told GSP no because they think Max, long-term, has more pay-per-view value and that by introducing him into this cluster that is the lightweight division right now, they think he can be a double champ. And they think that this is the first step toward making him a double champ because... They're not putting him against a Tony Ferguson. They're not putting him against an ally at Quinta. They're putting him against the quote-unquote number two contender at lightweight. They're not putting him against Khabib. They could save him for the Khabib fight, right? 
in theory, you can still save him for the Khabib fight later this year if you really think that he's that good. But no, they are kind of in a bind. They're seven weeks out, and they needed a title fight. So they put this Band-Aid of Dustin Poirier against Max Holloway as an interim title fight just to see if Max can headline at 155. What do you think? just think it sucks because an interim title fight is only supposed to be there when the champion is injured and can't defend, but yet it's not long enough where you're going to strip him. And now instead we just take number one contenders fights and we call them interim title fights. And the whole point of this question is what do I think about Max sort of just jumping in here? I don't get it. I, I mean, you're right. Why not just hold out Max for Habib? Why not just hold Tony out for Habib? I don't know what they're doing or where they're going now. This feels like let's just keep Dustin happy. And by the way, what happened to Nate Diaz? Like, what is going on here? Everybody's on steroids. The whole UFC, everybody. Right there, but like. You're on steroids. No, not me. But but like, I just, I don't know what is happening yet. Of course, you can't go wrong in this division. I love the crap out of this fight. It'll be fun. But does Max need to be reigning and defending featherweight champion and interim lightweight champion? They supposedly have a plan. That's what they keep, people keep saying on Twitter from the fighters to the teams to the managers is that UFC has a plan for lightweight. I assume this has something to do with it, but at the same time, like you said, is Max really still the 145 champ if he's fighting for the interim lightweight title here? How many, how many champions have fought for an interim title while being champion before? I, it can't be more than one, if that. I can't even think of one off the top of my head. This is, this is a practice, let's not forget, they would not do after GSP BJ Penn 2. They did not like champion against champion. It devalues one of your champions to see him lose. That's why we never got Aldo Pettis. So, but now it's sell your soul territory. Now we're gonna take established champions and let them fight for interim titles. Like, okay, but here's the deal. If you're doing an interim title with this matchup, you are saying to people that the winner gets Habib when he comes back, right? That's 100% that's, what you're saying. That's, that's what I was going to ask you. So do you actually think that that happens, though? Because It has to, unless unless something that has no meaning has even less meaning. Because what are you going to do with Tony now? Did he just screw himself by trying to do a power move? He's not getting Connor, folks. Cowboys, we seem to be back on the cowboy train for Connor. That seems to be the direction that we're going right now. So what is Tony going to do? Is he going to fight a Kevin Lee again? Is he going to take Ally Aquinta for no reason, for just to stay active? Like, there's, it's... You know what this should have been? It should have been Tony versus Dustin, and UFC should have just figured it out. Am I right or wrong? Unless no, Tony's getting right. Nate Diaz in a month, and then you're like, okay, what's well, this? That's a lot of that's a pay per view main event. There's money involved. It's fun. I get it. So yeah. is I is Iaquinta and Ferguson the ones that are going to get screwed here the most? Unless they fight each other, I guess. Well, I don't think Al's getting screwed. He doesn't. He doesn't deserve things on the level of the names we're talking about. But I'm just saying, like in terms of odd man out, because. With Max entering the fold, you have people now that aren't going to get what they are deserving of, right? Because you've got, yeah. like we've just been talking about, Tony's not getting what he deserves now. Nate Diaz probably isn't getting what he deserves. And Ally Aquinta, even though he's in the back of that pack, he's going to get even more slop, basically. He's going to get like a number 15 ranked guy again. Nate deserves so, this. I mean, sorry. Uh, Tony deserves this so much more than even Dustin. And I guess, obviously, that's why they offered it to him, but... Why can't you just do Tony Dustin? Doesn't that seem like the fight of the path of least resistance of people that deserve it? Like you can argue that Tony should just deserve should, – they should just announce that when Habib comes back, he's fighting Tony. But I feel like you erase that possibility by floating the stupid bill. 
So I my thought is like I don't know why you bring Holloway up for this fight. He still has a couple guys he could fight in that um, featherweight division where he gets good fights. He hasn't fought Frankie Edgar yet because Ortega knocked him out before that. Like that's a good stylistic fight that can build him some more fans, a little more credibility, and just be a fun, exciting fight because Frankie's gonna stand there and bang with him. Probably will not beat Holloway, but my only thought is maybe Holloway can't make weight. Is that why he's getting bumped up into this title picture? If that's fine, then announce that and make him give up the title at Featherweight, which Dana isn't doing yet. Because, look, there are some fun non-Max Holloway title bouts you can make. My favorite would be Ortega versus Jose Aldo. I think that's a great fight. Some people are thinking they'll go the route of almost an, a semifinal tournament here of having Ortega, what, against Frankie Edgar, and then you do Aldo against Volkanovski. Even if they went that route, I'd be fired up. Although I don't think we need to see Ortega Edgar again, right? No. Definitely don't. You don't want to see that uppercut again? No. no, no, no. Frankie's our guy. No way. But is it time now for Tony Ferguson to go full on heel and kind of and cut one of these promos? Yeah, Conor McGregor, you're taking everything I work for, mother. I'm gonna fight your. You know what's the real fight? What's the real money fight? Is me, not these clowns that you already punked at the press conference. Don't know want to see that. You know you beat them already. That's an easy fight. You want that real? Uh, Nate, Nate, we're live on Fox. We can't talk like that. <laughs> Can't, can't do that. Uh, so I, I don't know what what Ferguson does or what he can do different. He has dominated everyone that he has faced and had exciting fights in doing so. But he's he might have just window, truly Mikey. screwed himself. He's going to miss that window. He's thirty five now, and he's going to oh. miss that window of finding out how great he can be. And I know some of it was his fault with injuries along the way. Some of it certainly wasn't. Like when Habib pulled out that time. At what, 20 something, you know, 209. 209. Uh, tough, man, because this division needs, as much as I'm talking about GSP crashing the party, if we're honest, this division needs Tony Habib for the real title. It's what it needs. And Habib is not going to do that PSA, folks. So he can't come back until at least July. With Ramadan, he probably won't be back until what, August or New York in November? Yeah, that's the projected timeline. We haven't even talked about the fact that this is a rematch. This is an eight-year-old rematch that we're gonna see as the main event at UFC 236. Uh, t- until you know, until the news broke and I, I looked it up, I forgot that Max's UFC debut at age 20 was against Poirier. Wow. And when they were both at featherweight too, so they've both grown so much in that amount of time. And I honestly, for as much as we are upset with the fact that Ferguson's not getting the, the shine he deserves. I, I re- I'm so I'm really happy for Dustin Poirier, man, because he put it out there. He kept putting it out there. Hey, I need a fight. Why can't we make a fight happen? I need to get the hell out of here, apparently, to get a fight because they don't want to give me something. That man got what he deserved, and he pushed for what he wanted. So props to him for getting this fight done and booked for a main event. Yep. But now we have not one interim title fight headlining UFC 236 in Atlanta, but two, Brandon Wise. Because the co-main middleweights is another interesting controversial decision. Israel Adesanya, fresh off the Anderson Silva win, going to get Kelvin Gastelum, who did not fight Whitaker because of the emergency exploding bowel surgery at 234. Now we're going to find them in the co-main event to find out who's the interim champion. Middleweights, I'm the new dog in the yard. And I just all over this cage. Don't- wow. 
wow. Can we clean that up, please? Clean do up we a... do we get some money for basically making this fight two weeks ago? Because I'm pretty sure we said that this was the fight to make. Well, it is the fight to make, but guys, it does not need an interim title. This is not even the main event. This is a number one contenders match because guess what? Israel beat Silva, but he did not beat him in the method or manner that we predicted that would have allowed him to skip the line. He beat him a little bit safe, and we've already had this debate, so there's no reason to rehack it, but this is not an interim title fight. Guess what? Whitaker's coming back this calendar year, right? He's not dead. He's not Frank Mir for two years after a motorcycle accident. There's no need for an interim title. But, but, Robert Whitaker has a bad injury history, and he's been hurt each of the last three years, namely before and after the O.L. Romero fights. So to have this happen in the manner that it did, I'm okay with an interim belt being on the line here because you can make an argument that, hey, what if something else happens to Robert before another fight? You can't have a guy scheduled to fight as a champion again and then have him just bow out, bow out, joke wow, there. Wow, wow. <laughs> that joke was ish. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, you can't have him not fight again. You need him to be active, but we don't know. We – I just I am okay with the interim belt being on the line. I don't think this is a great fight, to be honest with you. I I think it's an okay fight, but I don't think, like you just said, either guy really deserves a title fight at this point. But the interim belt makes sense here because we do also know that you, like you said, it is a number one contender fight. They both have a claim to say that they are the number one contender at this point, even though Adesanya's resume is probably lacking. At least it doesn't have random losses to Chris Weidman on it. So I think that Israel against Kelvin is an interesting fight, but I'm glad it's not the main I event. I never thought I'd see you throwing some some uh, negative shine on your boy Weidman. Go ahead. Kinda, Keep going. No, I don't have any jokes. I don't have any sound <laughs> drops. You just always protect that man. That was interesting. But I, I mean, look, maybe you're right on the idea of if you have somebody active with the interim title that if Whitaker's dead or if he's gone for a while, then, then you, then you just, you just promote, you know, somebody. But uh, you can also argue that then they could do the, the full title bout. But whatever. They're going to do it. And guess what? The fight's going to be awesome because Kelvin Gastelum goes after it with that big left hand. And that's the perfect opponent you want in there against a counterpuncher like Adesanya. We're going to see the magic. We're going to see the version of Izzy we should have seen against Silva. But for your choice of reason, we didn't. This is going to be hot fire. I mean, that's the thing about 236. Not a great card, but two fights at the top that shouldn't be interim title fights that are both going to be fantastic. Yep, and I'm really here for it. I just get that that card to us now. Just make sure everybody makes it there healthy. Just make sure Max doesn't have random concussion symptoms where he thinks that somebody drugged him again. Let's just make sure both guys are there in bubble wrap for Friday night and Saturday night. Are you moved by the idea of like Wilson Hayes against Alexandre Pantoja? That's actually a sneaky good fight, by the way. I I think both of those guys can bang. I don't so. hate Eric Anders Khalil Roundtree. That that'll be a, a mini banger. Both guys coming off losses, um, kind of interesting. Did you see, by the way, that this guy was like trying to almost extort Eric Anders on Twitter? No. Where Eric Anders tweeted a video of like kids fighting and was, this guy was telling him, you need to delete that. You can't promote bullying and blah, blah, blah. And he gave him like this list of demands that said, if, if you don't complete these things, I'm coming to your gym to spar with you in front of your peers. You have been warned. And it was just like an average dude, like 
you and I. And I was like, really? You want that smoke? <laughs> you want that soccer kick to the head, bro? Like, <laughs> maybe he's got some, some private BJJ he's hiding behind there. You know, it's, it's a skinny, maybe. wiry, crazy dudes. You, you gotta, you gotta stay away from them. You know, interesting. Uh, anything else happened in the news cycle we need to be talking about before we preview this weekend's giant card? We'll talk about it now because it leads into 235, but the Nunes Holly home fight is not happening anytime soon, apparently. What's the Amanda, Amanda Nunes, who, who seemed like she was ready to take this fight soon, has said, I'm taking some time off. It will be tough. I'm thinking about fighting in the end of the year, around November or December. I'm in Brazil right now, taking care of family things. Wouldn't have had time to get prepared for May. So, UFC, shocking again, pulls somebody from UFC 235 in the hopes of making a title fight, and now that fight's not going to happen for another six months. Good job, UFC. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with. We need to see it as long as we see no, it this year. Th- but why does Aspen Lad get screwed? Look, there's a weird thing going on about about sheets how they how they sign these fights these days, how the fights are leaking out, how one person signed a fight, but they send multiple offers to multiple people. And just because you signed a contract does not mean that the fight is booked, but yet these are leaking out in the media more often than ever before. So we thought that fight was finalized and it was good, and now we're finding out that Holly Holm never actually signed the contract. So it's like, is this a bait-and-switch UFC job, or is that just how they do business? It's it's There's some issues there. That was going to be the one of our top five fights on this card, if it actually came to be. That's going to be a fantastic fight. And if And if... Nunez decides to walk away after that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate on her. I do want to see a cyborg rematch, but she beats Holly Holm, there's nobody else to beat. That's yep. it. It's over. Alright. You ready to get into 235? Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Alright, pay-per-view this Saturday, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas. It's, it's a big one. This is a big one, folks. Two title fights atop the card. A lot of names up and down this, this fight card of people I want to see, people I care about. Hey, we're even getting some Mickey Gall. I want Super Sage Northgun. I think that boy's corny. I want to punch his spikes out of his hair. I mean, Mickey Gall, Diego Sanchez, I will pop for that kind of creative matchmaking, but it also, it's, the big one is the top. It's the light heavyweight championship. John Jones, quick turnaround coming off of that December 29th victory over Gustafson in the rematch to regain the 205 title for, I don't know, the third, fourth time against Anthony Smith. Who is Anthony Smith, you might ask? I think that should be on the poster, right? 30 years old, six foot four, certainly on a, on a run right now. I'm not going to crap on the guy. He's got three straight victories, won six of his last seven. But, folks, we're talking about wins over Washed Rashad, Washed Shogun, and maybe never was Vulcan Ozdemir. And now we talking title shot. Ah. If yeah. there ever was a – you don't get stay busies or, or soft matchups in the UFC, especially as a champion. But if there ever was one, this makes uh, Anderson Silva Talis Latest look like a thriller, right? Oh man. Yeah, I, Anthony Smith, I have poo-pooed him on this show for what, the last four months? I have never thought he deserved this title shot. I didn't, I didn't think he really gave me much in terms of like, impressive witness in these wins. Like, he, he beat Rashad when Rashad was way past washed. And he also looked physically bigger than Rashad. Like, that's the crazy thing, is that Anthony Smith in these fights, technically he's he's well-rounded, but he just looks physically bigger. 
And when John Jones and he, and he squared off at that press conference, he's still smaller than John Jones. So I don't know how all of this ends up playing out. I just think that this, like you said, is as close to a stay busy fight as they can get John Jones at this point. And my hope is just that this ends quickly, painlessly enough, and we get John Jones set for uh, International Fight Week in July because he really has no business headlining this card, right? Like, he had – this is going to be his quickest turnaround since 2011. He doesn't do fights every three months like this. He, it's just never been in his career. So this is, like, almost out of the ordinary, and I feel like it's just because he knows how much better he is than Anthony Smith. Yeah, uh, everything you said is right on there. It's, uh, you know, I don't know John's situation. Does, does, did he want money? Did he, did he need money? Did it, did they offer a quick turnaround? He's like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, in a fight that he feels like he can win to try to get some fights put together before he could be eligible for a DC fight or a Lesnar fight for all we know or, you know, fight some big business later this year. It's, man, this is, this is kind of tough. I just, it, having John on the card and headlining, it certainly makes this a must-see pay-per-view. It already kind of was, but this certainly puts a nice bow on top. Two title fights, bunch of stars on it. I, all I want to do is crap on Anthony Smith with you. I want to give Anthony Smith credit for turning around a career that started five and six. In 2010, he was five and six, had a four-loss losing streak. All six defeats were by stoppage. He's fighting around the Midwest, and to be able to turn that around, work his way into the UFC, and then beyond the, the run that he's currently on right now, I mean, you know, he's he's had a couple stretches of three, four straight defeats, and yet he's something like 10-2 and two in the UFC. I'm going to give him that credit. But he's fought and beat a lot of wash names, Hector Lombard, a, a, a one of them. You know, got stopped by Tiago Santos when he did fight a live body in February of last year. Yes, when Alexander Gustafson fought John Jones, the odds were insanely in Jones's favor. And we, as an MMA media, missed that Gustafson was 6'4", that he had a style that could give Jones credit. And, of course, none of us knew that Jones was uh, blowing white lightning behind the scenes that week. But Anthony Smith ain't Alexander Gustafson. Like, I know he's 6'4", and he's tough, and he's looked pretty good. This has first-round finish written all over it. all Like, all over it. So if you're so, if you're Anthony Smith, you just come out guns blazing. You just go for it. Gustafson was plus six sixty in that first fight with John Jones, and exactly. Anthony Smith is coming in at plus seven hundred for this uh, right now. Yeah, uh, to go off of BC, you you have to like. I don't know what other kind of strategy you're going to bring into this fight where it's going to benefit you because John Jones is to many people, like you said before, the goat. He has every tool in the arsenal that you can use at your disposal. And he's, and he's great at all of them. Not just good. He's great at every aspect of the game. So if you go out there just trying to make, trying to catch John with his chin out just a little bit, just go for the hook, go for the haymaker. And yeah, I just don't see, I don't see Anthony Smith being able to get this fight to the ground. Do you? No, because not at all. Not at all. That's 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 how he ended up beating Vulcan was by getting into the ground and submitting him, I believe, or it was a submission by strikes. Vulcan's one dimensional though. This is such a tough mountain to climb. If this was Jones coming off of a year and a half or two year, you know, off of the sport like he was against Gustafson, I'd have more apt to try to talk myself into Anthony Smith here. I could say, okay, come out, push the pace, make Jones work. 
Jones showed us so much against Gustafson. So much that at cage side, I missed it. Remember we were talking, I was like, you know, a lot of people had Jones up 2-0 after the first two rounds, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know if he's actually looking that good. I had to go back and really watch that and see what I missed and how smart Jones is at his age. I think Jones is going to be able to do this at this level for a long time because he gets it. He's not... uh, He's not an athletic freak who relies on that. He's a really, like, this is why I think he's the GOAT. The way that he's evolving into an efficient fighter who uses distance and uses game planning, this guy, if he cares, is going to be almost more impossible to beat now that he's going to bring in elements of safety than he ever was as a guy who's just going to continue to walk you down. I mean, I, I don't see how you overcome that reach. I don't see how you overcome his takedown defense, his wrestling ability in this. Anthony Smith is, you know, you give him credit, blue-collar work ethic, put some fun finishes together. This is the deep end of the deep end of the pool. And, like, good luck to you. I mean, it's fun to watch you in the hot tub beat up on these old old bags. But if he gets to the second round, it'll be a, it'll be a, a major – it'll be that he, he landed something big on Jones and forced Jones to box from the outside, right? Jones is going to just systematically – Set this guy up for a rear naked choke or something. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be good. I'm going second round finish for Jones. I just think it's going to, it's, I think you're going to see a better chin on Anthony Smith than we think he's going to have coming in. I think that he's going to be able to take a couple of those shots early from Jones is like the feeling out process and Jones isn't going to go for the kill because he doesn't need to. Like he's, he can sit back and just see what, what Anthony Smith wants to throw. And then like we've said before, computer brain of a fighter. He can see what's going to come, and then he's going to just hit him with his counter shots, his counter hooks, his his kicks to the head. He's going to hit him with something clean like that that's going to finish him in the second round. He has 13 pro defeats, and I know it's it's tough to harp on that because some guys get these losses out of the way in like the amateur scene or whatever. But man, this guy's got 13 defeats, and he's fighting for a UFC title, even in. MMA, where defeats don't seem to matter. Randy Couture's got a crap load of defeats. He also fought for like 25 years, but still, I mean, wow. Hey, I don't care about that fight as much as just the attraction of seeing John Jones again after not seeing him for so long, so that's fine. But I care like crap, like, like good crap. Like, like I care the balls out of this welterweight title co-main event. No interim belts. This is the guy who's the guy, Tyron Woodley, against a guy who deserves to be here. Maybe Colby deserves it more, but we saw what happened there. Wasn't ready, so it's going to be CBS Sports' own Kamaru Usman coming in. Coming in red hot, coming in, becoming the master of the five-round grinded-out decision himself. There's going to be a chess match here, folks, in the first round that I'm very excited to see. It's going to extend to the second round and maybe even the third round. Because Woodley is efficient, and he will beat you at your own game, and he will be like a spider luring you into your web. But if you want someone who's prime, hungry, and ready coming in that deserves to be there, it's Kamaru Usman. What's this going to look like? What's his path to victory, Brandon Wise, to pull the upset here? So we've talked about it before where your theory for Tyron Woodley is that he takes away your biggest strength and then beats you with it. Yes. Kind of like what we talked about with GSP, right? He's kind of taken that model and he's made it efficient for him. It might not have been pretty in the Stephen Thompson fights, but it worked. He beat the karate master at karate. And then he beat Damian Maya at BJJ, you know. And he knocked out Robbie Lawler, a man who used to do really bad things to people. And he knocked him out like – uh, like within a minute, like just uh, you remember what Robbie Lawler used to do to people. I used to have a button on this soundboard that would tell you that. And now I'm f- flailing in the wind trying to catch up to it. All right, there it is. As if I heard him. 
I wasn't taking his neck. What were you gonna take? His soul. It was the greatest. I love that because it was a local news that he said that on, and he just said his soul, and just left it sitting yes. there. Anyway, so the problem with taking that theory towards this fight is that Kamaru has now modeled his game after a Tyron Woodley, where he's trying to be a very well-rounded guy. He has no one true skill that he does better than others. I think this is going to be more of a wrestling match than anything because Kamaru, over his last few fights anyway, has taken guys up against the cage, grinded them there, you know, pummel with his his elbows and knees to the body, and just pointed people that way. I just think that it's going to be hard for Tyron to isolate a, a aspect of Kamaru's game and finish him that way. If he's able to keep this standing, I think Tyron's going to get the win. I think that Tyron can outbox Kamaru. And as for as much as Kamaru told us that he hasn't needed to show people that he can finish because he hasn't been on that level yet, you you save those kind of moments for these fights like a title fight. That's a weird take, though. I think that he's going to get outboxed if he de- if he decides to go that route with this fight. I think you laid it out good. Kamaru's path to victory is taking it to the ground. And we don't know if that is an avenue to victory because this just in, Woodley can really, really wrestle and just hasn't had to use it for a long time. If Kamaru is going to try to follow him around, he's going to he's going to be outboxed. It's going to happen because Woodley, uh, man, does this guy maintain and understand distance. He has the speed and explosiveness to keep you away and to give you reason not to be reckless. This is going to be a hard fight for Kamaru. I think that all Woodley really has to do is is be defensive, see what Kamaru is giving him, and then counter that, whether that means on the feet or even on the ground. I'd, I'd like to see Woodley put on a wrestling clinic here. And, 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 and stuff Kamaru at will and then just keep him outside with that jab and set up clean and fun right hands here. I think this is an opportunity where if we see Kamaru on the, in front of the bright lights get a little bit frustrated because we've seen him be a front runner. He isn't lost in the UFC and he's thoroughly sort of dominated guys. What happens if he falls down two to nothing? Two tactical rounds in which Woodley stuffs him and controls distance. Do we see reckless Kamaru Usman come out? And does that begin his exit? Because you get reckless against Tyra Woodley, he's going to take advantage of it. But I do want to see that, though. I want to see what him going for broke looks like because we haven't seen it. Like you said, he's a front. He's been a front runner since he's been on these big stages and main events against RDAs. Against uh, who did he just fight? I can't. Maya. He just fought RDA. Yeah. Fought no, he too. against Maya too. And I just think I want to see what him frustrated looks like. Does he try and just throw haymakers? Does he play, but does he, or does he go tactical with his strikes instead of trying to kill people? Does he just go with the inside leg kick to try and soften up Woodley's stance and make his chin more exposed? I want to see what those elements look like because I do think Kamaru has the game to be a champion, but this is obviously going to be such a big test for him. And like you said, I don't know if he's gotten that kind of test yet. Because wasn't he the third in line to getting Damian Maya after Damian Maya had lost to Woodley and then Colby? Yes. And then he fought Usman? So he's never really fought dudes at their peak or at their prime. I think this is going to be a huge test for Kamaru. I also do think that he does win this fight. Whoa. I'm taking, I am taking Kamaru to win by decision. I think all of the things you said are, are on point, but I just think that Kamaru is not going, I, I don't think he's going to get as frustrated as we think he is. 
I think he's going to be able to win some rounds in those first three. And in the fourth and fifth is where we're going to see what kind of gas tank Tyron Woodley has. Because if he's getting frustrated with, with ground attacks and getting pinned against the cage, how long is he going to be able to stand up with this cardio? Because he's had question marks before about that. Wow, you said a lot there. I mean, in some ways, <laughs> I did. you did expose how we can pick apart Usman's resume. 9-0 and with the UFC. Hasn't lost, by the way, since his second pro fight in 2013. But we really haven't seen him in a spot where he's had to come back or overcome someone putting a dominant effort against him. He's dominated everyone else. Will that be enough? I mean, look, the thing going against Woodley is he is 36. He hasn't shown his age at all. One day he will. Will it be in this fight? I still think no. I think Woodley is just – people are still behind on realizing how good he is, how he can do everything, how he's completely well-rounded, and he's so much smarter in there. I mean, really, you hate to use the term poor man, but Woodley's becoming a poor man's GSP in a lot of ways. He's sort of mirroring him. Maybe he's a little bit more explosive in terms of a, a finisher if he needs to do it. But he no longer takes chances late in his career. He's kind of modeling the GSP method of how to be efficient. And if he had any doubt about it against Till, I mean, man, did he just absolutely dominate and destroy him. So I like Woodley in this. I think it'll go the distance. I think that Usman's going to have to eventually show us that there's a ceiling to him. That he can grind out and destroy the BB-plus guys. What happens on A-plus? I think he's just going to find out he didn't have the right game plan. He didn't have enough tricks in the bag. And we go five, and Woodley defends and survives in advance. But let's not act like this isn't a tough fight for Woodley. This is going to be a prime, hungry, capable, physical guy who's coming for him and will not back down. And that's what gets you fired up. Oh, yeah. Come on. You feeling that? Mikey, give us a tiebreaker. What you got? Oh, man. I was going to wait until wait until you forced me to send it in the email with the picks. You're but, such a jerk. But, um... I don't know. Brandon made some good points. I see. I could see Kamaru edging a decision out if he kind of wrestles Woodley dirty, dirty, uses those leg kicks to get inside and kind of puts his weight up against him on the cage and utilizes that to, cause Woodley's huge. He, that body is ridiculous. And to, we don't really know. Maybe he can tire him out through five. But with all that said, I got to go Woodley. Yes. I think you might catch him with like a knockout. I think the wrestling is going to be very even, and we haven't seen Woodley utilize that in a while. I think you might catch him with something, leaving a leaving a little quick scramble, maybe catch him with a hook or something, and that'll be the start to that to the end. Picture him wrestling dirty, Mikey says. I like that. I like that right there. Connor, Connor, you know what wrestling is? I can I can rest my belt on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, I know. Great comeback. Great comeback right there. Uh, welterweights, this is the fight of the night here. This is the fight I care about most. Former champion, the soul taker, Robbie Lawler is back. And finally, we get the funky one, Ben Askren making that UFC debut. And folk, fellas, we talked about this deep end of the pool because that's how UFC does it. There are no soft matchups unless you're John Jones against Anthony Smith because the division's putrid. There are no get wells. There are no easy steps, right? Eddie Alvarez came in, got prime Cerrone. That's what UFC does. Askren's finally here. He gets a Robbery Lawler who, yes, is 36, but seems to have taken the time to get through injury mentally and physically clear himself. Yes, coming off the loss to RDA in December of 2017. This is going to be a true test, though. Can Askren take that great wrestling ability to control you, to ride you, to sit on your back and slap you in the ass? Can he do that against a killer like Lawler? 
yes, I need to see this. I have no idea what this is going to look like. Like, yeah, I'll give you my prediction and tell you why I think a guy can win. But there are qu- enough question marks about Lawler in terms of how prime he still is and dangerous mixed with the question marks of can Askren jump up this many levels. This isn't one championship anymore. I mean, this is the big leagues. You talk about intrigue. Damn, I want Ben Askren to be a pay-per-view star and be like a player on the trash talk scene. Yeah, he's never going to fight Woodley while he has the title because they're best friends. But for Askren to get there, you got to you, you gotta give the UFC credit for making it tough. They're going to make him work for it here. I'm happy they did. Um, all those questions you have about Robbie Lawler, I still have those questions about Ben Askren, though. Because remember, Ben Askren, quote-unquote, retired after winning in November 2017 and hasn't fought since. So this is his first fight in almost 18 months. And yeah, competition level has just gone up tenfold for Ben Askren. I have no idea how this looks either. I do know that Robbie Lawler has been out-wrestled a lot in his career. And I'm kind of worried about that in this because washed RDA just out-wrestled him a couple of years, like last year. So I am... I want to make sure that this stands up for at least a minute because I want to see if Robbie can catch him with something. But I just think that Ben Askren is just such a better wrestler, even at this t- at this point in his career, that Robbie Lawler is just not going to have the wrestling game for it. So I want, I, in my heart of hearts, I want this to be a true fight. I don't want this to be a John Fitch lay and pray. But I just, I have a feeling that's where we're headed with this fight. Is Ben Askren coming in with some of the same thing, Kane? came back to against Ngannou where it's like I should beat this guy, I should out wrestle him, but this guy's dangerous, I could get caught at any point. Yes and no, just because, like you said Robbie's kind of washed at this point and he's only fought, he hasn't fought since December 2017, he came back against Cerrone at UFC 214 and won, but then lost to RDA later that year, I just I don't know, I I mean we, we joke about it, Mikey, Coca and I, that Robbie Lawler's chin is probably like made of tissue paper at this point. It's so gone that I, I have no idea what he's going to even like, what if Ben Askren goes out there and just knocks him out in, in boxing? Like, how are we going to react to that? That will be His chin worse. is deteriorating. Yeah, that would be bad. Uh, even Ben, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll slap you a few times to, to get, so you set up for the takedown, but. This guy's just, well, and this is one of the big questions. Askren's just not a good striker. I mean, that's just the way it is. He's a defensive counter boxer to set you up for takedowns, but he's one of those rare old school, old dimensional guy, one dimensional guys. It's going to be wrestling or nothing for him. I think his wrestling is completely world class and can control and, and, and dominate guys on this level. But what happens at the beginning of each round? You know, what happens if Robbie gets up? That's going to be very fun and interesting. I think in the end, this is a three-round decision for Askren. I think he's going to have some moments, though, where it's going to get hairy. And I'm not necessarily uh, referring to his pube-like afro atop his head. I mean, like, there's going to be some moments where he gets hit with some clean shots. And we're going to question in that moment, is does he have the Major League chin? Can he really do this? I think he gets to the finish line, though. I think he gets the decision. I think he moves on to bigger things. But... Perfect matchmaking for me because Lawler's going to – with what's left of Lawler, he's going to test him. If this was Robbie Lawler coming off of those Hendricks wins, I'd be favoring Robbie Lawler to, to do some damage here. Yeah, I agree. I, just, I I really in my heart of hearts wanted to pick Robbie Lawler. I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it just because I know – I've seen this story before where I, I go with the striker 
he's so he's all he can just catch him with anything and then he falls and then Ben Askren just takes his leg and lays on him for 15 minutes. So yeah. I, I have to pick Ben Askren by decision too. Yeah. yeah, I would I would pay double for the pay per view this weekend if it guaranteed a Robbie Lawler knockout. But Gaskin's <laughs> just gonna lay on top of him and grind out a decision. Robbie Lawler, and then talk a ton of shit in the octagon yeah, after. Robbie Lawler won't talk anything. That guy can't talk at all. The only guy who's a worse trash talker than Robbie Lawler is Roy McDonald. I guarantee you, I will take that belt from you, and I will take your health. <laughs> <laughs> I will remove you from goodwill, good feels and, and well-being. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, all right. Now, look, those are the three fights top of the card. From here on out, I almost care about every single fight on this card for, for a myriad of reasons. For some for bizarre ones, some for it's a great matchup. Look, Tisha Torres back at Women's Strawweight. I'm always in for that. She's right coming off of the defeat there against Joanna, trying to figure it out. Look, I never thought Tisha Torres would ever really get to that title level and be a factor. Lost to Andrade, lost to Ioana, badly needs a win here after having won something like eight of nine coming into those two defeats. What do you know, though, about her opponent? Can you pronounce it for me? Can you do that? Wei Li Zong and Buddy, you better get woke to Wei Li Zong, all right? I need to get woke right? to her. Yeah, get me up to speed. She is a damn killer. She came across, she came over here from uh, one of the Chinese fighting federations and she is just a monster. She's 18 and one. And she hasn't lost since her pro debut in 2013. <laughs> Give me some of that. She, would you call her a boogie woman? Would you go that far? Boogie no. woman is coming tomorrow! And she doesn't know what's coming! Does Tisha not know what's coming from the boogie woman here? Tisha does not know what's coming. She beat Danielle Taylor at UFC 227 by decision, and then she submitted Jessica Aguilar in November 2018. All I'm saying is Tisha might be best served paying attention to this because this is as tough a fight as she can get from somebody that's not currently in the top five at strawweight. Tisha's tough. She's tough. She's a volume striker. She doesn't have finishing power. I'll give her credit for surviving against Andrade. I'll give her credit for surviving against Joanna and putting up a good fight. But would you agree with me that she's never going to get over that hump? Yeah, I, I just think she's got warning track power, like we've talked about before, yeah. that I just don't think she has that elite level, championship level caliber of fighter. She's got gatekeeper, unfortunately, written all over her. So let's, yeah. this is, this will be a fun fight to see, uh, to see what, what she's got left to see whether she's going to be served up here. And you know, I'm fired up for the return of Cody Garbrandt fresh off the two knockout defeats against TJ Dillashaw. I know UFC is, by the way, they're going to put this on the main card as the first bout against Pedro Munoz to try to see at, at age 27 what they still have in Cody Garbrandt. Man, would a third loss be damaging here. But yet at the same time, because the two defeats were for the title against someone pound for pound like TJ, you really can turn this thing around. The goods are there in Cody. We've seen it. Look, I'm still impressed by that Dominic Cruz title win with the poise, the patience, the game plan. But he's got to clean up some things. And I think it goes deeper than inside the cage. He's mentioned it at times, but I think he's just got to get a full handle maturity-wise on who he is and where he's going. If he does, man, we talked about it. Losses don't kill you in MMA like they do in other sports. He can really put it together. How tough of a matchup here, though, is Pedro Munoz? How tough of a hill? Is this get well or is this a tough-ass hill to climb? This seems like get well, but it's also like kind of career rebirth for Cody because when we watched that press conference for 235 a couple weeks ago he's not the same killer just I don't I'm only here to fight I'm only here to knock dudes out I'm only here for blood basically yeah, right give me a, he, give was me wearing, he was wearing so I can put more tats on it that's basically what he's saying 
he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt to that press conference like he's surfer dude now. So I'm interested to see what that looks like from Cody's perspective if he goes out there guns blazing just trying to get a quick knockout again or if he's more tactical because Pedro Munoz is a very tactical fighter. He lost a split decision to John Dodson in 2018, but outside of that, he's been winning a lot of big fights. Rob Font, Brian Caraway, Brett Johns. I mean, those aren't just pushovers at, at bantamweight. So he lost big fights to, to two of his top opponents in John Dodson and Jeremy, Jimmy Rivera. But this is a really big test for both guys, and both guys can't really afford another loss at this point. So I think Pedro Munoz gives Cody a really good look and is going to challenge him in there. It's just a matter of if Cody can land that hard knockout power that we know he has. Yeah, Cody's got to calm down and slow down. There's so much damn talent in there. That's exactly what I was going to say, Brian. I would love to see a, like just a slowed down version of Cody come out. Not so angry, not fighting with as much emotion, but still having it there. So when he throws that first punch that cracks someone and gets them hurt, he's not rushing them chin out to just try and finish the fight right there. He's playing it smart and not rushing in as much i would love to see that come out of him for this fight um and yeah it'll be interesting to see which cody garbrandt comes out i mean i want to see a knockout from him but i want to see him systematically set it up i want to see him really execute the game plan big opportunity look this we said it the division's got a couple names but it's not overwhelmingly deep he can get right back into that picture would you love a, a refurbished Kobe against Cody against like a Cejudo at some point at Bantamweight. I mean, there's some big ass fights that can be made down the road. I would be fired up. Let's see if he gets there. Um, maybe there's a fight that does. I don't know if I, I'll probably want to see Lawler Askren the most on this card for certain reasons, but the fight that promises me bang for my buck that they're just going to bang. Is it this preliminary card main event the, on ESPN featherweights, little heathen, Jeremy Stevens against your boys. Abi? I mean, that Magomed Shapirov, that's, that's it. That's the one. I'm so ready for this fight. This is going to be so much fun because Zabit in his last fight pulled off that Sula, uh, Sulav stretch where he pulled somebody's hamstring apart basically cool. with his submission. I think that he's going to be such a more tactical striker than Jeremy just because Jeremy is so damn reckless in there. Jeremy's going to – yeah. Remember that, that – He's going to walk into something Jeremy quick. Jeremy had, had a hot second where he was like uh, – where like, wow, he put it together late in his career. He's a real title contender. Look at this guy. He went from being a tattooed banger to being a, you know, and then Aldo just put the body shot on him. And then we're like, it's still Jeremy Stevens. He's still going to just come out here and bring his lunch pail and just throw it at you. Um, this is a real setup for Zabit to just look magical and picking him apart. I hope so. I hope he does because to me, he's like that next wave of UFC fighter who can get to that top of the belt and top of the division quicker than anybody because he's got the full package and he's like six one fighting at one forty five. That it's is insane true. that he makes this weight every time. Then again, let's not forget what Stevens does though. He does take potential featherweight title contenders, Duhoy Choi, Josh Emmett, and sort of remove them from Josh their senses. Emmett. Can you get rid of Josh Emmett, please? Don't mention that well, name again. Jeremy Stevens tried, by the way, but uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that should be a fun fight. Um, now here's the Johnny Walker Red portion of our show. Quick turnaround for this absolute clown. I will say he is exciting. He does bring something to the TV. I can't figure out if he's freak level good or he just hasn't fought anybody or if, like, is this guy a creeper? I, he's a creeper, right? Can we at least settle on that? Why are you saying that? He's just there's there's something really weird about this guy. I mean, 26 years old, six six, seems you know really long. Seems to really understand what he's doing and can certainly sell himself on the microphone. But uh, 
I mean, this guy's a natural heel for me. If this was 80s pro wrestling, I just, I'm ready to throw things at my TV when this guy's on there. <laughs> but he's done nothing to do that to you though. Like, he's not a dirty fighter, except for the part where he tried to kick a guy's head off the that, ground. That, that was kind of... Yeah, I mean, he's the happiest <laughs> fighter in the entire world. I mean, I'll give him credit, but, uh, this is a big, this is a good, this is a quick turnaround. We just saw him February 2nd with that 15 second spinning back <laughs> fist. It's absurd and the near face kick, but, uh, Good test for him. I mean, look, this is the right kind of test if you want to find out if he's for real in a division that can use a guy like this. No question about it. You gonna bring me a t-shirt bet for this or no? We betting on this fight? We betting our t-shirt bet? Our traditional are you are you on Team Misha here? I don't know if I'm ever gonna try (laughs) Serkinov. I mean, come on, bro. Like, he did just beat that barista, Patrick Cummings. Um, I mean, he's the kind of guy who gets stopped by the people that he should get stopped by, right? Over. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk you into this by the end of the week that I'm gonna win a T-shirt out of it from Johnny Walker. I don't know if I can put my uh, see. I'm already I'm 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 coming off of a T-shirt bet loss, so I really need <laughs> to turn this around. I don't know if I can put my money on Misha in this, but let me ask you this: Is Johnny Walker two fights away from entering the John Jones conversation because of how bad this division is? Yeah, I mean he's fighting a number fifteen guy now. If he fights a top ten guy after and then a top five. Like the Vulcan uh, John Blachowicz, <laughs> uh train to get to the to the title, then yeah. That's that's interesting because if he keeps doing these one two minute spectacular victories and being a clown, he's going to get that push. And wow, I don't think I could cheer harder for John Jones to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what else jumps out at you? I mentioned that Diego Sanchez Mickey Gall fight. I know we've said this before a few times when Diego fights. I mean, look, he brings it every time. He is 37 though. He's probably one more bad knockout loss from us being done with him. I mean, I thought we were done with him as recently as UFC 200 when Joe Lozon needed 90 seconds to send him to hell. He just keeps reinventing himself. How much more can that brain take? Because the Matt Brown knockout should have been enough. The Ally Akita one should have sent him home. He's still coming. He's fighting a, a wrestler here, so he's probably not going to catch that bad knockout. But at the same time, I mean, another bad loss, another grind out, just knockout. Uh, yeah, I, I can't deal with it. I, Mickey Gall is going to destroy Diego Sanchez. Not a chance. I, I don't care what Brian, Mikey says over there. Diego Sanchez has no chance. Not a chance. A Mickey Gall's too man. young. Diego Sanchez is going to come out there and just do what he does, win a decision, might even finish him. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's... Wow, finish him, really? I mean, Mickey I, Gall has, has sort of slowed the roll on the idea that this is the next great welterweight prospect for sure, but. You look at these guys that he, like, so he has, Mickey Gall has a rear naked choke. Five, five fights finished by rear naked choke. Right here, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Five fights finished by rear naked choke, lost his only other fight. Professional fight, actually. Um, I just think, He's a little too young. The fight against Mike Jackson and the fight against um, CM Punk were god-awful. I didn't see the Sage Northcott one, and I didn't see his most recent one. But I just think you see You're something. Like the guy has five fights. Yeah, I've yeah. only seen two of them, but I'm still going to break down why <laughs> the guy sucks. No, I'm Diego out. Sanchez is too washed for this to get a win here. This is this is this is good matchmaking, but I hope that that his brain stays intact. He's given us take so the much. plus two seventy five for all don't, of our gamblers out there. Do it, don't do it. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. Anything else on this preliminary early preliminary card jumping out of you? Nothing, right? Uh, just that Poliana Viana, the girl who thwarted a mugger in Brazil. She's yes. on the first fight of the card against Hannah Cyphers. Um, 
Other than that, though, just some late-breaking news as we finish up here. I saw this. PFL has signed a two-year contract with ESPN. That is surprising AF. Yeah, that's say. a great way to say it. Um, all 10 PFL events will air live across either ESPN2 or ESPN+, Plus, along with Deportes. But, so it won't be on main ESPN because guess what? UFC has a monster deal with ESPN right now. What does this mean though with the, with the connection between, potentially between PFL and UFC for UFC's partner ESPN to do this. Are they setting it? Look, what it screams out to me that PFL is finding its role in finding its lane as, as a triple a filler for uh UFC, because you got Kayla Harrison as the face of PFL. And don't you think UFC wants a piece of that? I think this was the only way that PFL keeps Kayla Harrison on their roster. I think that's you don't probably think it speeds up getting her to the UFC now that it all I don't be one family I don't because why would she need to make the jump? She's gonna make she made a million dollars on that tournament that they want that she won last year, right? She's gonna just keep making more money. And if she's gonna be on ESPN a lot, she's gonna get endorsements that way too. I, I just I think this is the this was bigger news for PFL as opposed to making it more of a triple A. I think ESPN wants to breed competition. They wanna see what happens if they just have a lot of the fights as opposed to just having UFC? How much do you think this is uh, ESPN counter-promoting against their – counter-blocking their, their competitors? Do they, do they say, hey, look, DAZN chewed up Bellator and Combate, so we want ESPN Plus to be the desired home here, so let's – whatever it takes for PFL. We want another. I could, I could see that. It also – I mean, I don't know what NBC Sports' situation was, but it probably helps them because – they probably weren't promote. They weren't promoting those cards well at well at all. Yeah, this is big news for uh, for PFL. No question about it. Uh, do they have any male fighters that are must see at this point besides Jake Shields? <laughs> is Will Brooks back there again? I think he is. I think he is. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe Anthony Johnson could go back there. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's the show for this week. Jesse Grevin got some serious leg kicks. If he was a girl, you would say he has a badonka dog. <laughs> that dude's got some sick legs. Wow, that's an awkward way to end the show. Uh, shout out to you, the listener, for uh, for sticking with us. Uh, shout out to uh, Brandon Wise at Brandon Wise sixty five. Mikey Mormile back on the show this week. Follow him on Twitter. Where? Uh, MJMCBSI. If you want more of that, uh, follow White Jack guys like me at B Campbell CBS. I'm a white boy and I'm Jack. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Uh, Brandon, you got anything else to say to the listeners here? Yep. Yeah.